Right. So this is wholly unscripted and barely edited and saved for the time, and might contain spoilers. But if you've ever been curious as to what goes on with the writer when he sits down with some friends at a coffee table, a couch, or somewhere outside, here's your chance to find out. This is Yumi Tigers. The basic, and I guess this is the, the context I will give you, when I was in Prague, so this is 2008. Ish. Yeah. yeah around about then. 10 years ago, not quite. Yeah. Uh, the, guy who found, the guy who started the USC program, James Reagan, he's from the Czech Republic. He had an agreement with Václav Havel to teach at Charles University and would invite students internationally to go study there during the summers. Mm-hmm. So Jim knew I was finishing up and he invited me to be one of the students. I right. showed up early, ended up accidentally as his TA. I have these details already, yeah. but you're telling them, I suppose. Yeah. But, well, long yeah. story short. Right. It was about a month there, and my we were living in a small student dorm mm-hmm. of the kind with no windows, just steel bars. Right. And my roommate Brett had come in having read the, I think, the second chapter I'd written at that point, and mm-hmm. to give me his thoughts. And he sat down, I said, well, you know, what do you think? And he goes, I like this, I like this scene here, that description's really good, and this one over here toward the end of the chapter, not all. I said, no, and he goes, yeah, I can tell when you're not trying. And I thought... That particular line, that one stuck with me because I can too, and I can feel it. And it always boils down to going down to what I call scaffolding, to the I'm putting things here to exist until the actual piece emerges. Every time I've ever heard anybody talk about the work of writing, I think that's actually a necessary part of it, so I wouldn't feel bad if no, I were no, you. No, but... I don't. But the thing... That sometimes occurs is you end up living in an echo chamber, particularly when it's a large piece and has evolved as it has with this. People like to tell you you're doing a good job, whether you actually are or not. Yeah, and it's either that or you get nothing in silence, at which point you're not sure what is or isn't working because... Or did they read the goddamn thing? Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> I at least own it. <laughs> no, a few people have apologized. It's like, I don't care how long it takes people to read and respond. I'm mm-hmm. sometimes bad with that as well. Right. It's the... It's the silence, and I have at times read the pieces aloud and performed in public to I my class. Th- I might get Jim to read it. I'll probably also read it, but I'm making her to read it. Fair enough. That's probably... It's not the craziest idea, honestly. You know, people sometimes say, look, I'm not a writer. How can I get feedback? And I haven't like, even thought about that yet. That actually, that's not a bad idea. No, it isn't, and I would appreciate it. But it's the... It's a book. It's a story. It's not a question of whether the craft is not is a thing you have knowledge about. It's whether right. you like when it. You as... sit here and open this for a couple hours on the train or something yeah, like that. My, really my core questions are always: Is it engaging? Are the characters real? That kind of stuff. Sure. Because the craft can always be practiced and refined. It's the: Does this make you feel? Do you want more? Sure. And one of the things I'm stumbling over now is a scene in chapter one, which. <sighs> So here's an eye-opening experience. I decided one day to print out my mini-versions, multiply annotated, chapter one to trim down to what should be its final version. And I went to Google Docs, and I said, okay, show me how many pages this set of notes is. And Google Docs went, yeah, okay, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Give me a couple more minutes. And it went down to 90 places. Yeah, that's a bad sign. And I went, shit, because I, I never tracked. I was just putting in notes, time-stamping them, making sure they connected. I read through and said, okay, these first 30 pages, that is the usable. The rest of this is older versions that I had not cut out. I just mentally shoved to the side. Fine. New, new copy, new version. These 30 pages editable. Start over from there. 
Yeah. And I was pouring over that. And as I got about a third of the way through that, I said, this portion here is a chapter. Yeah, it makes it a chapter that's seven or ten pages, but nothing says a chapter has to be any particular length. Right. It's when that moment ends. What is the piece you want to leave the reader with? If you have done it right, a very short one can be effective. Yeah. It's actually one of the reasons I like Rothfuss, because he is totally unafraid of just putting a chapter down, going, here it's three pages, here's the story, moving on. She was exhausted and she slept. Yeah. Next chapter. It, that one is cheating, but I've seen it, or you, close to it. <laughs> you know, people, people have bashed Twilight for many reasons, largely appropriate ones. But one of the most effective things I think she did in that book was structuring it as a series of teenagers' journal entries. So, yeah, you had the September 15th. I hate the world. Next page. Given the subject matter and the audience intended... Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, was it choice. well done in other ways? No, but that pr- that approach. You've read Dracula, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> sure. That's that's a completely reasonable example, and Dracula has suffered from the fact over the years that it actually really effectively uses the epistolary format mm-hmm. in the early going. It's really well done. That opening part of the book. Uh, to, to that same point, The Hunger Games, when I read the author's intent behind it, and she described how she'd been watching on television the history of Rome and Colosseum battles, I realized it makes that made so much sense, because reading the books, I went, this is an episode here, this is another episode, this is where we leave the cliffhanger for episode five. You could see the influence of television as a narrative medium on the way the book was structured. Sure. So... In earlier versions, I had this incredibly tight, perfectly situated 18-chapter, very symbolic, beautifully titled structure. And then one day, I looked at it and said, either that dies or the book dies. Because there needs to be more here, and that does not allow it. Mm -hmm. There is an inherent structure to the book, and this is where Rothfuss and I somewhat differ, because we both go back and forth between time, but I have two narrators. Mm-hmm. And my earliest fallacy, of course, was making one guy narrate both timelines. That's confusing both for me and the reader. Halfway through, I went, you know it would be much simpler for both me and the reader? One narrator for the past, one narrator for the present. I think that would probably make everyone's life easier, yeah. Because the tone, the experiences, all of that helps situate you in the where you are now and who is telling and what their perspective is. It's both first person, which is something I wasn't as comfortable with. Third is much easier, I find, for me. The way you talk doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I can, I can spin a yarn ad nauseum. Right. Getting into the mind of another human being and making that real takes much more time and investment. And I enjoy it, but God, is it harder to do? So I am in what is now a fraction of that larger chapter that will be more than a few past chapters, and I'm fine with that. And it's the older of the two narrators, Adam, observing this community that he's going to soon put to the torch, which is a spoiler probably for those of you who, depending on when I post this, may not have read that yet. So I may bleep out part of that. Man, now I know more than I did a minute ago. (laughs) Anyway, so he's going to burn the place down. Yeah, it's a... He has orders, he's part of a military outfit to go get rid of these individuals, this community, Mm -hmm. and he is observing them to figure out the right time. And also, you know, there's still that question in the back of your head of why am I doing this and, sh- and should I? 
And the more, you, of course, you observe a p- group of people doing a thing, the harder it is to do something to them, mm-hmm. unless you find your rationale in that process. Gotcha. The big, one of the biggest challenges I've always had, particularly when people may read the book or want to, is how much should I tell them in order to discuss things that may occur later or be meaningful in a further sense? Sure. So here are things that are true about the book or the story that come very, that are apparent very soon. In the world, which is like Earth, but not quite, and maybe it's older than Earth, maybe it's younger, I, I kind of get the feeling from the way I've been writing it that it's Earth, but a much later point in time. For instance, the Western Hemisphere, who the hell knows where it is anymore? Mm-hmm. Dave and Pablo and I the other day were talking about ways that could, or reasons that could be true, based upon... Historically. Yeah. As a guy currently reading a biography of Gerard Mercator. Okay. We literally had to not just get there, but explore it and figure it out. And mm-hmm. we, in this case, is by white Europeans, but, you know. <laughs> the royal way. They, they spent years upon years upon years, seriously, years upon years upon years, filling it in and drawing different blank spaces and different sized conjectural continents and different this and different that, just out of the sheer logistics of making that happen. Yeah. So... If in your distant future it's not easy to get here anymore, people will just forget what it looks like. <laughs> in, so, this is a bit of mythology that gets laid out in the prologue, mm-hmm. but things that are known in the world, in even the most nebulous sense, there are some who are full of fire in both a literal and figurative, mm-hmm. and there are some who dream too much, and that is of consequence. And when we get to the story in the now, there are a few of both left, but they exist where they do only in certain places for that reason. Okay. The myth that gets laid out is one of two brothers who find the sun somewhere way in the deep, deepest parts of night, the well of night, we could call it, and pull it out of there, or at least a fragment of, to bring back to Earth and make the sky and light again and, you know, life feasible. That's a reasonable creation. Myth. So on, on the kitchen wall of the, the house that Adam lives in that his parents have painted is a depiction of the two of them dragging this burning fragment through the remnants of what is left on the earth. Mm-hmm. Dark cities, log seas, star-filled nights, old fields of wheat. And later on in the same chapter, Adam stops talking about how after their disastrous attempt to keep that piece of the sun from being stolen by a hummingbird and one of them being stuck in the sky with both the bird and the fragment of the sun for the other forever, the other being stuck in the earth. Mm-hmm. The one eventually in the sky comes down to find his brother. Now that he's finally found a way to do so. But being full of burning, that's basically all he can do or say, and people at the time were perturbed by this. Generally speaking, I find that people are not terribly pro-burning. No, so Pablo was very much of the, I want a giant rock in the sky since we had hit a giant rock. Mm. And let's play with that premise. He was of the, it was a comet or something like it that swept part of the earth. And therefore, all the disasters ensuing would lead to emigration, systems collapsing, satellites going... Right, yeah. and that's a reasonable idea. Yeah, so that, that is a possibility, possible way of interpreting the myth. Mm-hmm. And we chewed around with what that would lead to in terms of consequences and things occurring from there. The, there have been religions and communities and other ways of making sense of the people who are both burned or the people who dream, mm-hmm. and what their value is, what their purpose is either in terms of putting them to pointy things or making them a venom. Sure. I, I was watching Rogue One earlier. Sure. And one of the best elements of Rogue One, although it's a little understated, is that it actually gets to film the idea that there are people other than Jedi Knights who are concerned about Force. Right. What the Force actually means as an existence in the universe. Right. 
which you see very little of in any of the other Star Wars movies, actually. That's, I think, one of the things that got explored in the now defunct canon was how this persistent power or means of manipulating the world that was only available to certain people would cause other people to think of that. Right. No, it. Uh, I, I know for a fact, but since you're not doing a Star Wars podcast, we'll not go into it at any length, there were a number of other traditions of people who had not just beliefs about the Force, but styles of using it. Sure. In the old comic and novel universes, anyway. So, uh, the two the two main characters, there's Adam the Older and Connor the Younger. Connor's family comes from the part of the world where most likely folks, for whatever reason, surviving would have arrived first. Mm -hmm. Their culture is largely ground upon that emigration, the whose lines arrived first, what they found there, who was descended from whom, and their little fiefdoms eventually merging together, etc. Okay. And, you know, equivalent of Ireland, the British Isles, and the like, removed from the rest of the main continent and where things were occurring there, so isolated in their own conflict. Mm -hmm. Those on the mainland, say Africa, Eurasia, Japan, you've got an influx coming from that side, but much more heavily steeped in this kind of core mythology of these two types of people, one perhaps being bound to one of the brothers, one to the other, and which is the value. Usually it's women who dream too much, men who burn too much, why Mm -hmm. that is, arguments are made. But eventually, emerging out of that came the tradition of these, I don't know what to call them precisely, you could call them sages, you could call them soothsayers, you could call them tinkers, because they've done all of that. The term I use because they're largely situated in the Siberian and regions of there is an old Russian word for sorcery, koden, or kodeny. Right, okay. And that tradition was eventually born, had many iterations going through pastoral life all the way through eventually a larger empire. Yeah, I know a couple of conjugates of that word, actually, from role-playing games and things, I think. But anyway. I I was doing a lot of research into what felt like a, what would be an emergent term. Sure. to use for that. And way back when perhaps these individuals would be venerated as either bestowed upon or favored by the gods or some type of embodied form of natural spirits, mm-hmm. you would probably end up with these communities that are largely engaged in pastoral or farming life who benefited from the presence of such individuals. Right, especially if that's, and it sounds like it is, a shortcut back around technology they don't understand anymore. Yeah, the in earlier iterations, and we're going back a few, there were these things they called the sunder and the idol, which are basically how metal kept on decaying of the, high, the higher grades, mm-hmm. and how things like computers just slept or did not work. Right. That's largely fallen to the wayside, but there's still the sense of things that existed prior are either inaccessible or un- not understood well enough to sure. be engaged in by most. There's a tremendous body of knowledge on which the 21st century world is founded, maybe is the word I want to use here, which if we did lose would make it very hard to use most of the things we do. So Pablo and Dave going off the technological route went into things like genetic engineering and purposes that decayed once the mitigating or controlling factors were no longer produced. For instance, Pablo's theory was that the ones who burned too much were never intended to do that in the way they do, they were meant to probably burn out sooner. Uh-huh. But without the controlling mechanisms in place, only natural entropy was remained. That's not if, a crazy idea. No, I mean, I, I kind of had fun seeing what their interpretations would be. And my feeling is I'm never... 
as the writer, my interest is the myths are here because they're part of the world in which people exist, and these are the stories they've told themselves and things they believe or don't. Right. I don't feel like it is my role to say this is the true one, this is the untrue one, this is the interpretation you should believe in. Unless it's helpful to the story, you actually yeah. probably shouldn't. No, I mean, since, particularly since it's first person, if it's true, it's true in the sense of what the character believes. And or, that's more important. Yeah. So sure. in, in Adam's case, he lives in this very remote small village with his father, who is a priest of an Abba, the Hebrew for a derivation of Abba, Hebrew for father. Okay. And they have a small community. His mother is one of those who helps venerate and bury the dead. They have a small sanctuary they live in. They do the rituals and rites, and Adam is mostly kept to there. Visitors come and go. There are pilgrims. People get buried. And then one day, the strange old man with a dirty beard and lots of weird gear on his, I call it an iron horse, because that's what a motorcycle or thing like it would look like. Fair. I haven't found a better way to describe it, or the way a better way for a ten-year-old to describe it who does not know what a thing like that is otherwise. That's probably problematic. You're going to run up against expectations created by the Western genre and by sci-fi westerns. I know. As a result of that, it's going to evoke some stuff you may not mean to. I haven't quite called it a motorcycle either. That's why I called it an iron horse and just left it that. Sure. I'm just, the iron horse thing is actually the problematic part. I know. <laughs> I know. The, Adam's grown up with a lot of stories, so it's also possible that the reference to him comes from... He might well have picked it up from West. Yeah. That's right. At which point, he's wrong, since yes. that's a train, but he's not wrong, wrong. Since trains don't exist. Right. As far as he knows. No, his father has a study full of weird floating ships that are shaped like whales and other, you know, mm-hmm. replicas of things. And books and th- so there, there's a lot of hidden knowledge, and most of it is stuff he's not supposed to be reading. Sure. But his dad corresponds with a bunch of people by you know birds and stuff, and he's not allowed of the village until one day this stranger comes in and is invited as a guest to stay overnight. Mm-hmm. Except his parents are fighting because of this. As it gets unveiled early on, and this is a prologue. Nico's a coden. Mm-hmm. Why he's there? Well, that's something the parents are fighting about, why now he's been invited. That gets pushed, you know, that stuff that gets revealed in the prologue. But it's a, one of the things the codon do is evaluate and judge. If there are people full of flame and there are people who drink too much, can they be raised well and right? Can they be kept alive? Should they be? Mm-hmm. They have a number of roles, some they may like more than others, but Nico is one of the few of that kind left who is still traveling around. He's a friend of Adam's father, and he gets invited in. Mm-hmm. There, there's more to I would say the inciting incident than that but in, ta- in terms of talking about this order or this group or this this particular expression of a faith sure when Adam later as an adult is part of a military force that is trying to recover old histories and technologies sure. believing that this is a thing worthwhile they run a butt to the remnants of the old empire that closer to the fallout from that, believes that is a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Those folks opted to go back to the fully farming and pastoral route because they saw and lived through the fallout, the stories of that exist in their society. Sure. And the ruins are right there. Sure. So they told themselves, well, we screwed up, so we're going back to living like this. We had a huge empire. You can see remnants of it. There was a giant arc our people tried to make to get off the earth. Sure. There's what's left. You can see how well that worked out for us. And everyone hates us because of it, or, you know, everything we had. 
the codon at that point were probably more of an official role, tied into the technologies, into the leadership. Mm-hmm. Those that persist into the time of the story now are the ones that basically went back to the really old shrines where things first emerged as communities. Okay. The term I've been kind of using for them is another, it's Tosca, you know, a place reserved and remote. Mm-hmm. And it's to one of these that Adam is sent with the express purposes of getting what is needed out of that and removing what is not. Okay. And the problem I found, as I am now at the point of him having observed three of the, the youth who are part of this community going off on a lark toward a stream and goofing off before mm-hmm. they head back, and I, ha- I have so many vignettes and pieces of this, but the actual place and the feeling of it, the sense of it being alive as a community, mm-hmm. eludes me. Instead, I have the scaffolding. I have these. I have what is now currently an analogy of envisioning a mountain like a cracked egg, you know, split on the side, and peering into it to see what is hidden there and who would live there. But it feels so not just forced, but contrived. Yes. Yep. There we go. So Adam is from a small community. Yep. Adam's- is this place a small community, or is it unlike where he came, where he grew up? Is it bigger? Is it I would say bigger. It's certainly... Things that would be familiar to this are... It's remote. It's secluded in a valley or something like it. Or a glade. There's a lake. There's a body of water. Mm -hmm. And... Why are those people living there? This is stuff I I have... So stuff I do know about this community. Mm -hmm. In every one of these Toscas, there's the belief on an island on the lake that is always there that there are two trees for the first two of one full of flame and the one who could dream too much who met, decided to stay together and tied the two trees together with a ribbon. And the people that lived around them and worshipped them as a, if not a deity, then definitely things divine. Okay. And out of that were born the first or earliest versions of the people who helped them raise their children or who found others like them to teach the ways and make right. Mm -hmm. Eventually those became the oldest parts of what led to the empire and where a lot of, where often the children would be sent from their homes to get their first years of training or existence before they could... So it's something kind of analogous to a medieval monastery, but not completely. Yeah, it's... You have definitely the folks who teach there, the oldest of which is the Koshi. Mm-hmm. And he is the one who teaches, particularly about the folks who are to craft using the technologies in place. Right. The basic resources. One of the things the Koden make is... And I've... I can't. I call it oil, but it's certainly not oil as we would imagine. You know, the derivative of dinosaurs, to be exactly. But the co- the codon are capable of crafting substances into things like pipes that push heat through most of the frozen, otherwise frozen tundras, and allow people to live in abodes where they could not otherwise. Okay. There's a whole underground network of funnels and furnaces that let that let all that stuff be passed through. In the oldest of days, probably went all the way back down to the areas where the empire was deepest to help funnel water down from the mountains over to mm-hmm. where it could be used for irrigations. So there's a lot of history and craft, some of which is being tapped now to make things for the war. Right. Hence the, you need to go here and make them stop that. Mm-hmm. Because if our enemies are no longer capable of getting their implements of, to fight with... Right. Then you'll win, yeah. because they don't have anything to fight you with. Yes. Sure. So he's spying on this community, which is one of these monastery type of communities. Yeah, or built up around it more accurately, maybe. Think think of it like a series of small houses built in a in a, in a semicircle crescent around one side of a lake that would be situated on 
you know those mountains cracks you get that kind of crevice or a trough to it mm-hmm. where you, you get trees growing in you sure. get the bodies of water to collect from rainfall and water. right yeah so there are cave structures where the mountains split or partly and the lake you could be something you know would be situated kind of partly on Partly in the mountain and partly out on this crater. Okay. Wrong word for it, but you get the sense. Their villages is their village is the wrong word, but the community is situated on one side of the lake. The island where the two trees are is always is tuck- in the lake. Is in the lake and probably closer toward the caves and, and that structure over there. The, right. The overhangs or eaves, as I call them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so when it rains and stuff, water would trickle down, but. That sense of the sacred place goes deeper into the mountain. The, the community is over here as kind of a gateway to it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's all remote intentionally because we are both to protect the people we are teaching and preserving here and also to keep them from getting away, lest they go run amok mm-hmm. without the proper training. Sure, because this is a place to which you're sending, potentially anyway, very dangerous people. Yes. And teaching them to be of useful meaning and purpose to the rest of their... Or at least that's the hope. That is the belief in which parents let their children go there and be sent there. Okay, is that belief accurate? Part of what led to the war is a moment when eventually the people who were sending their families realized this was not always going for the best. Okay. Uh, I could go into a lot more detail, but... No, that, that's sufficient and yeah. seems pretty... Seemed like a pretty good bet. Yeah. The, <laughs> the technology that made the Empire work requires the participation of these individuals. Mm. Whether they like it or not. Ideally, if they like it. And since they're help, they're inculcated from childhood to believe this is a meaningful existence, mm-hmm. they'll willingly participate. Sure. But it needs them. Right. And the people closest to rearing them, the Coden, are eventually split over whether this is a good thing to continue on. Okay. So when the war comes to a head back in olden times... But that's not what he's seeing looking at the community. No, what he's seeing when he looks at the community is basically the refuges of... The last refuges of that. The people who either were part of the empire and took... Knowing the war was coming, the last of the children went there and still wander out on occasion to find others like and bring them here. Because it's still a dangerous world out there. These people are still few, but they're still... They are still a divine thing in a sense. They're still a thing worthy over thousands of years of tradition that have been At built. At least as far as they're concerned. Yeah. How much of this does Adam know? He knows some of it from Nico, the Coden who came to visit him as a child, because Nico now works with his side in the war. Mm-hmm. But Nico only tells him bits and pieces. Okay. So He knows the technology they create is is fueling the other side's ability to fight back. Right. So what does he think about these people going in? Well, when he, because the way you're going to get this place to actually seem real, yeah. is to contrast what he thinks it should look like mm-hmm. with what it actually looks like, and have what it actually looks like have a certain amount of not just verisimilitude but simplicity to it. Because at the end of the day, these are a bunch of people who live by a lake without that many people around and are really much more worried about their day-to-day than he expects. Yeah, they're, they're deeply a community of self-sustaining. They keep peacocks and terraces right. and chickens. So they're, yeah. they're busy, yeah. right? They got, they got stuff to do. They feed the chickens. They, they eventually maybe get to cut loose and go hang out by the lake, which yeah. is what he's watching, and things they're, like that. The, he was, he's, only mo- he's mostly met just the one code of Nico. And right. what Nico is, he's considered largely a traitor since he joins the other side. Sure. What he knows and what most of the people on the side know is things Nico's told him. What 
he knows of the Coda now is that they were effectively gang-pressed into contributing to the war. They would much rather live and do the thing they were meant to do. Sure. But since they can craft things no one else can, right. that the people don't want to fight with but need to fight with, mm-hmm. the Bonds, they have been gang-pressed more or less into contributing toward this effort. Okay, well, who did that? The well, bad guys from the from Adam's point of view, basically? The woman who is kind of de facto the head or... No, no, I'm not, I'm not asking, like, in an organizational sense who, who did that, but who does that day-to-day? Because if these people are out here in the middle of nowhere at a lake at the bottom of a mountain, right. but they're being, if not, like, literally forced, compelled is maybe a better word, yes. to build armaments while also trying to eke out a living out here in the middle of nowhere by a lake on a mountain. Yes. Those people are going to be around. And how they behave will contrast pretty drastically with the behavior of the people who are ordinary citizens of this area. Right. The There's one internal motivating factor and one external motivating factor. Right. The internal motivating factor, which Adam would be familiar with and empathize with, is that the colon, at least as he knows they exist now, believed the Empire was a bad thing mm-hmm. and that they were instrumental in that. Right. Therefore, making efforts to bring it back mm-hmm. is about as close to sinfulness as they could commit. Sure, that's a bad call as far as that. So what would push them past that, mm-hmm. basically, is a higher authority in terms of things divine and meaningful who could say, for the purposes of this fight, you are allowed this. Okay. And that woman exists. She is usually further away, but there are certainly... Actually, there is one individual who could be the person to speak for her there. Okay. And does that guy have thugs, hypothetically? Because this seems like a situation where no. a certain amount of thugs he or something could be expected. doesn't need to be because he's one of the few left remaining that can is full of fire. Okay. So he doesn't have thugs because he doesn't need thugs because he can light you on fire. Ostensibly, he is there because one of the things these people do is teach you how to be that, right. or how to be it meaningfully and usefully. So he is ostensibly there to, to be learn. trained in how to do yes. that. But the reality is he's already got a pretty good idea. Yes, <laughs> and if she requests that he put some pressure to their thumbs... Mm-hmm. How's he going to find out that she wants him to do that? Because there's a necessity here for communication. Kind of, not just that, but like a supporting architecture, even for these guys who have divine authority. Yes. Somebody still has to sweep the church. Yes. It, out here in the real world and things like that. There's got to be somebody, probably several somebodies, else working with these people. And even if, in general, people are going along willingly sure. with what they have in mind a certain amount of machinery mm-hmm. needs to be in place to make that happen. Yes. And a way to uh, contrast the inhabitants of the place with what are more literally Adam's enemies is, is to show them interacting mm-hmm. also, and the consequences of that. Uh, and at that point, at least, you may have something that will feel a little bit more real. Because you still got to talk people into doing things. You still got to, you yeah. know... I have a lot of... I have particularly open as the the observations of their behaviors, the wo- their morning ritual, mm-hmm. the and I know the right. things. But in a way, that, that's kind of boring because it positions it positions your narrator as somebody who it's too passive one. Not just well, right, but also who gives a shit about that. Yes, to be blunt. Yes, right. He's a soldier. 
He knows mm-hmm. what washing your face in the morning looks like. He yeah. grew up in a village. Yeah. He knows what feeding chickens looks like, yeah. in all probability. He's not going to find that interesting. He is going to find interesting anything these people are doing that is outside of his experience. Right. Okay? The things that he... I have mostly that there in, like, I'd say probably about three or four lines tops, because the thing that is of the new thing for him is learning in more detail this one, and I'm not going to be able to articulate this perfectly, but what the Koshi divulges to the remaining students there of why we are here doing this thing that we do. And I okay. think what probably needs to be added to that is the why are we you know, why are we still engaging in the war? Because right. the younger one should be calling him on that. Sure. Why do we need to do this? You always told us this is a bad idea. What's yeah. going on? Right. So that should be there in addition. Sure. The there's an element of them of them instructing in the craft there, but the other component, which is something that isn't that hadn't been revealed before, is that other than this one individual whom Adam suspects is one full of fire. Right. There have not been any like them there in a long time. Mm-hmm. So most of their reason for existence is null and void. Right. These people going, are hanging on to something that yeah. is not there anymore in that in yeah. the form that they expect. So if the only reason I would want to convey the daily ritual is to lead it to the point of how ultimately, as much as they're going through the motions, there's a hollowness to it. That isn't still why they're joining the war, because that isn't enough to justify the war. That has to be something, I guess, the Koshi would have to be pushed into explaining. Right. And I mean, that's a, there's a certain amount of... Not only would these people be curious why they're doing what they're doing, they're not necessarily going to go along with it... I don't want to say happily, because it's not quite what I mean. Um... They're not necessarily going to believe wholeheartedly that is the right thing to do. Sure, and also they're going to drag their feet and they're going to do their thing and not his thing just yes. out of sheer habit, especially if this is a community with a lot of behavioral inertia, as it were. Like, they're going to, I don't know, they're going to want to have a Saints Day or something like that. He's going to be like, what is this nonsense? Come on, guys. They I will, need four more rifles. They will find more things to have, to do other than that. Right. They'll, they'll find things that they, they think are important to do that do not seem important. To well, their government. For instance, like the three observes goofing off by the stream, this is their very important thing they need to accomplish right now other than... Right. They need to go blow off some steam, or they need to go do... They need to go fishing and drink, or yeah. they need to do whatever it is these guys are going to do. They need to do this for them. This is not about him. And if anything, they're going to bitch about the guy who's been put in charge of their community while they're doing this. Which is very humanizing, because let's be honest, who doesn't complain about their boss? I, you know, <laughs> there's one character I had not thought of being there. But it's possible that he would be. Nico has students mm-hmm. um, because if he doesn't have people, he needs to have somebody who can learn from him. He's very old. Eventually, he's right. going to die, or someone will shoot him. Right. And there need to be people who can take his practices on. One of them is one of the longest-time servants of the woman running the war that Adam's on the side of. Uh-huh. But he is deeply a student of Nico's. Right. And would certainly be the kind of person to be there on the other side for other reasons that will become apparent later. Sure. So you could maybe have that guy there, especially if you've got a solid idea what his voice is like. And that'll help because that's a character you've already got established. And as they interact with these other not-as-well-defined people, mm-hmm. you'll get a much better picture of what's going on. 
No, I, like one of the big mistakes that I've been clarifying, mm-hmm. there was a scene where two characters were talking and there was you know, a deep character development there in that moment. Right. But two others were just in the background fishing. Right. And as I sat back at the scene, I went, if they're all fishing to eat, why are they not all sitting here to eat the fish instead and having that moment? Sure. So I sat all four of them down to cook the fish, and out of that came the real moment. Right, and a much more interesting conversation, probably. Yes. Sure. Now, it's, um, it's difficult, in general, to get a sense of who somebody is at all without seeing them interacting with other people. It is. It's a... This, this is not just true in writing. Like, no. This is true in real life. You've got to see how people treat other people to actually know what they're about. Yeah. And the Adam, when he observes the three of them goofing off before he finds the village, has mm. a fairly clear idea by the end of that scene that one of the three is unlike the other. One of them is not a student in the sense of being a future codon. One of them is the kind who is supposed to be kept and preserved there. Okay. But he feels a little too comfortable in his role to be held in place. You know, for someone who should be, who should have grown up in this environment feeling that the other two are there to observe and watch, he's too much the one in control. So, this is, of course, the one that... You're the, being a little vague. I, yeah, I'm trying to figure... I, I'm stumbling over what to say and what not to say. Mm-hmm. Well, you, like, I don't entirely know what you're telling me. I know. That's what I mean. Um, You've got one guy who so, should be a special and important person who got sent to this remote monastery. Yes. yes? And he's hanging out with these other two, and they're goofing off. Yes. But he seems like their boss, and that's weird? Yes, because ideally... Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah. Uh, ideally, okay. were he raised there, uh-huh. he should be deferring to them. Sure, because he got sent to this community to study, and they're part of it, so yes. don't they know what's going on? And yes. yet that's not how this guy's acting. Yes. Okay, so there's a inherent kind of... Um, is it, there's an assumed... Well, not assumed. There's a existing relationship. That's the word I want. Yeah. With these three characters that becomes apparent... To your narrator. Yes. Okay. And he thinks it's in Congress. Yes. All right. So what about the two subordinate guys and their behavior makes it seem weird to him? Because on the one hand, sure, it should seem weird if you think about it logically. Yes. Right? But what would make That a guy who got sent here to learn yes. should not be telling these guys what to do, and that's fine. Yeah. But, what, what but how that? do you actually see it observationally? Right. Right. Do they bitch about him when he goes off to clean a fish or something like that? Do they seem scared of the guy even though there doesn't appear to be any reason for them to be scared of him? Is he the one who's calling all the shots? Is he like, yeah, we're going over there after one of them wants to go over here? The the entire reason they're out there is because he called one of them on a bet and basically demanded that one of the two... All right, so one of them lost a bet. One of them is there to prove him wrong in a bet. Oh, okay. So they're out there trying to solve a thing that they have a bet going on. Yeah, and he's the one that basically said, bullshit, this never happened, prove it. Okay. I want you to, you know, show to me that this works. Okay, so that's what they're really coming out here to do. Yeah. All right. So the third guy is what? The guy who put them up to it in this situation? Because I can imagine a dynamic where you and I have a bet about something. Sure. And we go to a place to see who's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, for those of you who are products of the full-on millennial generation, as opposed to the transitional, you know, Gen Y types like me and Jared here, we couldn't always answer these things with the internet. <laughs> yeah, unless you felt like waiting ten days. Right. Exactly. So, I could see you and me doing that. We've known each other a long time. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. What's the third guy doing? 
in this group at all? Why is he here? So you've got the one who is being called bullshit on. He's mm-hmm. the one performing the deed to prove that. Right. He's like, no, seriously, come on, I'll go show you. Sure. You've got the one calling the bullshit, who is which the is your full of fire. The one right. who should be deferential, sure. but is not. You've got the third one there, who is supposed to, is effectively the moderator there, the neutral party. The okay. One to, is he the one who actually knows where they're going? Did he like tell the dude who is in the bet and wants to prove it about this thing? Does he is he the one who actually knows what's going on? Is he the guy who? won't get lost if they go out there. He suspects the bet is bullshit because the guy calling the bet already knows it's a false already knows that he's wrong. So he wonders why the why the call of bullshit's uh, being made. Okay, so he knows better yes. than the guy making the bet. And he thinks this whole thing is weird. And he thinks the guy making the bet is not making the bet because he wants to win the bet but for some other reason. Okay. So what is that reason? Is that guy trying to get this smart ass kid who keeps telling him what to do out of town so he can beat him up? Because that's a pretty reasonable uh Reason to do it as these things go. As best as the one who calls, as the best of the one who calls bullshit says, it's because he wanted to do the easier chores and goof off by the island. Okay. The sacred island, which is you know, there's two or three things you do there, uh-huh. and otherwise you leave the fuck alone. So really, this guy is has created a situation where he gets to slack off. Yes. And the other regular guy knows that. Does he also want to slack off? No, he's responsible. He's, this, this, he's, if he's responsible, why isn't he just freaking staying home and doing what he ought to be doing, though? See, Because he's not the one in power here. Like, is this his little brother? Is he trying to keep track of his little brother so his little brother doesn't do something stupid? Is, is there something sense. like that going on? That would make sense. Okay, because it's really difficult to get this, this guy who has nothing to do with the bet into the scene without there being... Some kind of relationship there that brings him along. No, I mean Misha and Sasha, who are the two secondary characters in this. Right. They this whole scene occurred because as I was writing, I went, something is here that needs to be here that I'm feeling and giving shape to. Right. And I need to figure out what this is and why it occurs. Right. The the more important of the three, the one who makes the bet in the first place, Jaden. Right. Or Jaden's the bad guy, relatively speaking. Consequent. Right. I, that's actually a spoiler of the name there, but whatever. Hey. It's an A. They'll figure it out. Yeah. The, <laughs> no, it's for other reasons. I will probably bleep that and call the name they use in All right. So, the Ananda. Acolyte, we'll call him. Yeah, All right. we'll call him. Okay, we got the Acolyte, we got the guy who bet the Acolyte, and we got the, the third guy. Yeah, the older brother of... Who I think is probably this dude's older brother, yeah. or is his friend, yeah. and he thinks his, his buddy's about to do something stupid out in the woods, so yes. he's come along to try to make sure that don't happen, yeah. or something like that. That, that makes way more sense to get three people out there to settle a bet between two of them. Yeah. All right? So they're going out to the island to settle some kind of bet about the island, presumably. They're going out to the stream. So okay. For the young, the, they're going out to the stream for the youngest of them to demonstrate what should otherwise be impossible. Okay. And for one to bear witness to make sure right. that the right. So, okay, so the, the better is like, okay, come check out this cool thing. And, yeah. it, because, no, totally it works. The acolyte's like, no way, man. And the other guy goes along because... Again, it might be his little brother. He thinks they're going to get in a fight. He doesn't think that's a good idea or something like that. Which puts that guy in this inherently weird role of trying to mediate between these two, even though one of them is his boss, Mm -hmm. and the other one's definitely not. Yes. Right? Which makes, in any conversation that goes on between them, is going to be argumentative because of the way that relationship is laid out. Mm -hmm. Anything. Even like, no, we should go over here, okay, hang on, we should eat lunch or anything like that. Sure, this one guy's supposed to be in charge, but the other fella who is out of the bed is still trying to mediate the whole experience for the two of them. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I assume, the Acolyte will not like that. 
the way it's I mean, this is still being drafted, but the right. way it's the way it is right now, the the witness, as I'm calling him, the third who's not performing, or the one called right. Oh, the witness is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah sure. He is trying to figure out the actual reason for this bet being placed. Why? Uh-huh. Because he's trying the, to figure out what's actually going on. Yeah. What is the power play occurring? Okay. And how can I? How 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 should I act accordingly to make sure things stay good? All right. So. Again, does he think the better is an idiot, or does he think the acolyte is dangerous? Those are your best. He thinks the acolyte is dangerous reason. because the acolyte is new. Okay. Everyone, from what he knows, those full of fire come here when they're young and they're little. They learn from there. They don't come when they're fifteen or sixteen. Right. And and are, have had a life before then mm-hmm. and a way of living it. And start telling people to hop to. Yes. Okay. So he's he's thinking that whatever the hell is the reason for going out here, that guy is suspicious. I need to go along to make sure my buddy's okay. Among other things. Or I need to go I need to go along to see if I can find out what's going on. Yeah. Okay, so if this guy is so interested in the acolyte, which is a completely reasonable position, so we're clear. Yeah. Why? Other than curiosity, like what's it about this guy that makes him give a damn? Because let's face it, these people have been living here by like doing their thing for hundreds of years. It sounds a like long, decades, a, good long a long time. time. Yeah. There's a so he, he's he's observed that the routine of things, that the general um, system of their community mm-hmm. is not operating as normal. This Why guy, does he care? This guy is the upset for a number of reasons. Okay. So like, to, to answer your question, you know, like how long? It's so long that the teapot, the porcelain teapots have faded. You know, you still got the old... Okay. Like, everything they use is still from the old places, but it's lost most of its... It's more, wearing out. Yeah. Right. So, and again... It's long enough that those full of fire and those who dream too much aren't even in the community. Okay. This so, one here is the first one to show up and Lord knows how right. long. And again, so is the witness an older person who is well aware that this is unusual, as opposed to like an older sibling? Is this like somebody's dad? No, he's, I would, if I were to give an age, probably around 15 or 16. Okay, so this is old another, enough. Yeah. Right. So they're all, if not literally kids, they're all teenagers. Yeah, they're all like, I would say between 14 and 17 tops. Okay, so he's probably, probably older than the acolyte. Because if you're younger than the Acolyte... You fall, too. When the Acolyte shows up, you're like, oh, this dude's awesome. This is the one we've been waiting for. Right. Yeah. So maybe, prior to there being an Acolyte around, this dude was hot shit. Maybe this guy was somebody important. And that's what's bothering him. Because all the other little kids who used to do what he told them are doing what this guy tells him. It would make sense if he was not the star pupil, then certainly one of the better of them. Sure. So maybe he's he's thinking, okay, something's up with this guy. i got to figure out what's going on, and then maybe I can get back on top. Or something along those lines. Certainly. It's a totally understandable motiv- motivation. Even if it's a mostly benign one, it makes sense. Because that's the world he knows. Right. This person usurped my life. Right. I need to make my life orderly again. I need to at least figure out what's going on, because yeah. this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. That's a decent motivation. So that guy is hostile to the acolyte, but not necessarily to the better, except clearly he thinks the better's an idiot or up to something. Yeah. Okay. What's the better's motivation? What does he actually want to do? He wants to goof off? That's his whole motivation? No, he witnessed something unbelievable and he okay. wants to prove it. So he saw something cool and he wants to goof yeah. off. All right. Yes. His idea is, whatever I was supposed to be doing, this is way more interesting. I want to go deal this with that. This is a thing I've only heard of in stories that happened. I want to show you... Okay. And the acolyte genuinely thinks that's nonsense or he this is part of his no, agenda he, that he wants to see it? He knows it happened. Okay. And this is something that the witness realizes in the process that is going on. Gotcha. 
that you called this bet knowing uh-huh. this is so going to be you made this bet with my little brother or knowing whatever. you were going to lose it right yeah but you get to go see this thing as because one, you wanted to know where it was one almost certainly you wanted to know where it was right two whatever you lost or had to do as a consequence of losing was a thing you wanted right or you just don't care yeah like whatever the bet was he's not worried about the fact that he'll lose the bet yes. he's much like, more oh, interested this thing in the actually occurred show me right okay so that's that's what's actually going on in your scene. You got the one guy trying to investigate the motives of the other two. Yeah. He probably figures out the better's motives pretty quickly. I assume he's known this guy a long time. This yeah. ma- that just makes sense. Yeah, he, he, he knows this guy is totally wrapped into all of this awesome things happened. I want right. to tell you. Uh, is this a guy who frequently tells like ridiculous, silly stories? Is this like a guy with his, you know, a big imagination? Yeah, Sasha's the kind who's got his heads in the Okay, car. his mouth writes checks that you yes. can't really catch yeah. a lot. Like he and the other guy knows this. Fine. Okay, so something clearly happens when they get there and the bet is resolved. Otherwise, what's there for Adam to see, Adam, apart from these people talking? Adam is watching in a tree nearby as this occurs because he had been tracking them to find out how exactly... Right, so he's following these guys. They go over to the stream instead. He sits in a tree branch to watch them. Mm-hmm. They get into, you know, the bet gets laid out. Right. The youngest of them goes through the process of demonstrating how what he saw is true, right. while the two others are basically going back and forth over whether this should work or not, or do you think he actually saw it, yada, yada. Right. One's asking, do you think he saw it? The other's trying to figure out, you already know. Right. So, so clearly the acolyte, mm-hmm. right, he's taking this opportunity to interrogate the witness yeah. about the fact that this is a guy with big dreams in his head and his, and his head in yeah. clouds and yada, yada. Right? And... I assume the witness's first reaction is basically, well, yeah, anybody could have told you that. Mm-hmm. I know you're not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually going to become more suspicious of the acolyte the longer this goes on. He already was, but as this guy starts asking pointed questions, trying to sort that out, he's going to be like, man, that's weird. So the, the act gets demonstrated. It gets proven that the bet was going to resolve in the favor right. of the... It gets proven that the guy is correct. Yes, he, and, he witnessed a crazy thing, and here's the proof. Mm-hmm. And the acolyte basically says, oh, I you know, guess I lost that one. Here's what I had to give you. And the other one looks and goes, I forget the exact line, but the effect is, you already knew. It's like, well, you know, they did say X, Y, Z had occurred. Mm-hmm. It was, and then the question, well, why? Why, you know, more or less implied, why did you want it? And he bullshits the, oh, you know, I wanted to go hang out by the trees over there, blah, blah, blah. You already knew. Yeah. What do you, what do you even go through all this for? Yeah. Something along those What lines. was the bullshit for, then? Right. Uh-huh. Because we came out here, we did the thing, you knew it was going right. to happen. Okay. Why? And then what? They go back? Well, they get into, they're about to get into a tussle, but the third one comes back with what's left of what he's demonstrated. And uh-huh. he's super eager, hey, it worked, blah, blah, blah. Right. And they get into a brief argument about, well, it would work better if you'd done X, Y, Z, et cetera. Right. And at that point. But how did they know that? Certain craft and things that they employ in general. Okay, so this this is something. Whatever you're showing them is something they all know. It it employs elements of things. Yeah, employs elements of things they all know. That's fine. It's the fact that it worked the way it did at all. Right. It it probably shouldn't do that. but it should do something. They probably would have had a long argument about that, Mm -hmm. but Adam breaks a branch. Okay. And basically realizes, fuck. Well, he doesn't realize they heard him until the acolyte catches the noise and looks immediately at the tree, and he goes. That shouldn't happen. Uh, you can hear a branch breaking and wonder where. Why is it the acolyte? He's not from there. It shouldn't be the acolyte. It should no, be one of the other guys. It shouldn't be the acolyte. 
But these, throughout the entire thing, the acolyte is the one observing more things, observing things better than everyone else. I mean, I, I, I get that, yeah. but at the same time, the one who's actually on his toes in this situation, because the acolyte thinks he's in charge, True. is the witness. True. Okay. If somebody's going to hear somebody sneaking around in the woods that he grew up in, in a right. very literal way, it's not going to be the dude who just got here recently. It's going to be one of the other two. And it's probably going to be the guy who's already suspicious of something already, because the other fellow's excited. Well, yeah, the, the one excited that things worked is totally in his head again. Now, um, just because I think it's weird that the acolyte's the one who notices your narrator, right, doesn't mean that if he's not, he doesn't immediately become way more important anyway because he takes charge of the situation. True. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would say if, it, if you follow the path of the wary one being the one that hears that the acolyte's the one that immediately goes... Oh, you're right. Okay, go. Yeah. Or something like that. And that's weird, too. Yeah. Now we've now we've seen that this guy who we've established through the conversation that presumably Adam's overhearing, he's not really from around here and maybe shouldn't be in charge. He is. is. Because even the guy who's suspicious of him will at that point probably do what he says. The power dynamic established. Right. Yeah. And now we know what's going on, sort of. Well, it, it, it helps frame the what is then seen in the community right. following. Yeah. Which was what my gut was telling me needed to happen in a scene prior to that. Okay, that no, that life. makes right. I, I get, in a sense, anyway, what you're trying to establish here. But you can't set the people who aren't this acolyte up as chumps. It won't seem credible that he's in charge at that no, point. The, the bigger challenge, or even interesting, frankly. The bigger challenge I had with them is the there are two people here I've never had to write before. I don't uh -huh. know them at all. Right. I mean, you know, so part of that was the. I now have to figure out who these are and why they are engaging in right. this moment. Mm -hmm. I know what he'll do. Right. Because I know him. Sure. And I know what Adam will do in the moment, too, because I know him. Right. So we cut from that because Adam basically hears them running toward him. And, and bails. Bails. And right. he leaves a wreck of the tree behind him. So now it's obvious there's something right. out there. So now they're like, something's out here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the next scene is the one I'm struggling with because it's him having found the community watching for the opportune time to do what he asked to. Okay, so what is it more specifically that he's here to do? He said he's here to burn the whole place down, right? Yeah. Okay, but... And he's here to destroy their ability to produce stuff. If nothing else... Right. If nothing else, he has to destroy their capacity to make anything more. Okay. So there is a certain amount of... It one guy. Now, I, I recognize that the process... The manufacturing process that is occurring in this community is, you know, a little bit mystical and... Sure. There are ways of interfering could be unusual is what you're... Yeah. Right. Also, and the scale of it is going to be strange. Because it's clearly not like there's a factory no, here. No, part of it, and this is, I think, a thing I've not articulated well, mm. part of it goes on back in the caves further beyond in the lake okay. where only the adults go. Okay, now... Does Adam already know that, or does he see it at some point? He gets a sense of it as he's watching Because him. if your job is to stop people producing a thing, you need to understand how they do it yeah. so part to of, do that. Part of the part of the reason he's been he's here observing is to get a full sense of how all of this works to make sure that when he breaks it, right. he breaks it. It stays broken. Yeah. Sure. And is he inherently by himself, or is he scouting for more guys while he's doing no, this? No, he's by himself for a couple reasons. Okay. One is that his command... But the point is he doesn't have help coming no, to help him. No, he is by himself. This. Okay. And he is capable of doing it by himself. Okay. The 
I guess this is probably why burning it down was maybe a bit of a spoiler, and I can believe that. That is something he opts to do. All right, his conclusion is, if I just burn down the whole town, they can't stay here anymore, or something like that? Everything is, not just the manufacturing process, but everything that would keep them here would be gone. Okay. And if I have to burn all of them to do that, so be it. Right, and they can run or not. I'm not worried about that. Yes. Something along those lines? Yes, because one, and this is, it's been... It's been it's hinted at in the prologue bits and pieces, but of the few people left who are full of fire, he is one of them, right. and he is far more familiar. See, I knew you had told me that, but yeah. it hasn't come up yet no. since we've been. It, by, by the time you're reading through in that part of the book, right. you be, will be aware. What is new to the reader mm-hmm. is the degree of viciousness with which he goes through doing it. Okay, and just the not the like, not the I'm going to sit here and describe to you in detail how I'm burning the whole village down, but just the here is the whole way this day goes. Mm-hmm. And now here's the village burning down. Right. The, the day goes like this. The resolve is pretty drastic, considering. And it ends with him in the river bathing off and washing the ashes off as he's reflecting on what he's just done. Okay. It's not that he likes what he did. It's not that he right. believes what he did was right or good. It was the, I'm by myself. What am I supposed to do but right. this? What the heck else did you think I was going to do, considering? <laughs> the, now, he may not have been in the most, best emotional state when he was sent on this, because his commanding officer was also his off and on again ex, and she may be having his child, so she sent him off when they had a fight. Mm-hmm. So his mental state is not perturbed, but certainly unhappy. Okay. I reduced a lot there, but basically this is someone he's known for a good long time. Sure, that's fine. Yeah. Um, it doesn't... In a weird way, that's... The fact that he's upset is the important part there. Yeah. Most people would be tempted to have him start drawing parallels between these people's lives and his own life, and that explains why he does the thing he does. And that's not inherently wrong. Sure. But the guy is escalating a situation to... Something pretty drastic for mostly reasons of his own convenience. It is partially that. It's also the note I wanted to end it on is this is not the first one. Okay. Okay. So. Because the opening framing for this sequence that leads to this closing portion here. Yep. Is rumors that people on his side of the war have heard recently. Mm-hmm. One is, of course, concerning the commanding officers and why things are going the direction they're going. One is about the way the war is going in the North and about the awful things occurring there, which... This slowly... is a, a fairly straightforward example of. Yes. He's, okay, so not only is this not the first time he's done this... Uh, he's been in the North for a while He doing may this. well do it again. Yes, he's been in the North for a while doing this. All right, so then for him, yes. the question is more what stands out about this place where he's doing this thing he's apparently done before. One, the acolyte is here. There's actually someone full of flames living with the community. He's never seen that because as best he knows from having watched them... They ain't got nothing. Part of what makes these people who they are is the loss of that purpose. Okay. And the continuation of the rituals that still persist despite it. So, for him, as a guy who's part of an army... Yes. The presence of this guy is immediately suggestive that things are going to become more difficult for him in the future. Especially if he can't take this guy out with the town. I don't know if he tries to or not. Does he? Because I would. I think it's probably part of the reason he's so thorough in burning it down. Okay. 
Does it work? No. Okay. So, if that guy gets away, and you want to be a little bit cheeky, it should probably be because, A, he's suspicious since he caught him in the woods, Mm -hmm. okay, and B, of these other two characters he was hanging out with. Mm -hmm. Even if they never really come back up again, that's an easy explanation. They're from there. They knew what to do if there was a fire. Yeah. So he listened to that. Yeah. No, it's a... There are reasons later on in the story as to why that individual is there beyond... Sure. You know, right. No, this is a guy who's coming around later or matters later. I yeah. understand. But he's a... Uh, having never really met one like himself, mm-hmm. there's a certain there's a certain amount of... Well, there's an amount of uncertainty as to... Right. I don't know what the thing to do here is. Right. Can I take this guy? Should I take this guy? That kind yeah. of thing. Uh, I have no context for Right. This. You don't have a framework. You don't yeah. run into anybody else like this. I, I would... I know other people like me exist, but it is a myth until this moment. Okay. So clearly, the way that this this shakes out in Adam's head ends with, fuck it, I got a job to do. All right? Yeah, I, I have to put an end to this. We right. have to win the war. We have to... Okay, yeah. so he decides that this guy not only isn't important, but is actively in his way. Yes. And therefore, the best time to put things to the torch is when this person cannot be involved or any, in any way, in any purposeful way, intervene. Mm-hmm. So, there's a nice, perfect field of growing wheat. It's ripe for plucking. And mm-hmm. and we'll start there. And, oh, well, that didn't go so hot. Well, no, not particularly when, right as he's about to, one of the oldest, the, I think the Koshi is wandering through the fields just to, you know, cool off for the night. Right. And sees him there. And, of course, that guy knows what he is, because that guy knows a lot more about things. Mm-hmm. And knows exactly what's about to happen. Right. But there's a part of him that just doesn't care anymore. Because... If that's what's meant to be. Right. He's been old and useless for a long time. They broke the rules, and I guess maybe it's time for that to go down. We committed the sin we weren't supposed to If anything, I'd be... You probably want to get into that guy's head briefly, just so that we can understand how this looks. That is the one sitting at the lake who is giving the story briefly of the why things... Why we are here now, suffering the way we do. Okay. Because, no, I mean, like, right right as the event happens. Yeah. What what runs through that guy's head is... Something along the lines of, well, I guess we had this coming. Yeah, right? no, I think, I forget what the line is there, but there is a, there is something in how, in how Adam, in, because it's first person, and what Adam sees from his behavior. Right. Well, that. that's my point, though. You, you, I know this is probably not a thing you'd like to do, well, but no, this but is I mean, a good moment to, for just, a, you know, yeah, a, a bit, go to the other guy's perspective. Yeah, this is where third is usually easier, because they can just dance on over and go the, oh. Right. And, no, uh, well, yeah. it, it, to go back to what we were talking about earlier about breaking into short chapters, yes. you get about a page of that guy's thoughts, mm-hmm. and then you're back to Adam's. Yeah. Would not be a particularly weird intrusion, provided you get something interesting to put on that page. Sure. No, I mean, I, uh, I forget what I put there, because... Like I said, this section I'm working on now is fragments from that large piece that right. I am trying to pull and together. And you're trying to firm that up some. Because what is missing from it is the the real, what makes it real. Right. And the, so I, I forget how exactly I framed it, but there is a brief interaction between them. There's an understanding. Right. The guy basically conveys his sense of why this is happening mm-hmm. and ends with the line, Oh, no, Tibia is not She knows you. Mm-hmm. It's left open to who the she is, but... This is an acknowledgement. This is an ordained thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This is going to happen. Sure. And the she he's referring to, of course, is one, the woman who sent him here. Presumably the acolyte's boss. And also the acolyte's boss. Right. It's the context of, she sent you here knowing she would do this, and the woman who sent, who forced us to join in the war, knew you would do this. Mm-hmm. This thing was always going to happen. Right. 
I was doomed from the beginning. Right. You were the bringer of my end. Right. And that moment of confirmation mm -hmm. is what sits with Adam as he's bloating himself and reflecting back on this moment. Right. Because it's a bitter end to it. Sure. And for him, it may not be an entirely welcome observation. No. That somebody else has fallen the strings. That someone is aware of all this and basically what everything that's been occurring is still fine by that person's way right. of thinking. Mm -hmm. If this is okay, then what else is? Right. Is you know, and he's been aware that there are others pulling at the way the war goes, but the depth of that is right. The depth to which that goes may surprise him. It may be unwelcome to be faced with that quite so directly as he is here. A number of things may happen. Yeah, and this is. This is, you know, it's chapter one or two, so this is just an early... Right. Okay. You don't really want to go into, behold, this spider web of conspiracy at, at that point. You want no. the guy to be getting a sense of what's going on. Actually, when I was on vacation, I got to the scene that led naturally to meeting him meeting the matriarch, the woman who's growing right. on that end. And it is an odd meeting, because how can you leave? How can you walk away from that person and not kill them if you know what the role is? But between the rules of hospitality and other personal... I mean, I'm assuming that something happens between the scenes we're talking about now. And that scene that makes it reasonable. six or seven right. chapters yeah, later. Right, there, there's, there's some space in there for him to come around from frustrated or surprised or feeling jerked around yes. to whatever it is he does later. That's yeah. fine. But yeah. in the moment, you would pretty much have to feel at least a little bit jerked around and yeah. frustrated. That, that, that scene, I, as I started jotting it down, is a thing I... Particularly as I've broken the chapter smaller, that maybe is like halfway through the book at least, mm -hmm. or around there. Sure. So yeah, a lot will have happened, mm -hmm. and I'll probably boop that to some degree. But yeah, there's there's a lot of history to the world that I am struggling with sometimes ways to find to bring in because it is not my nature to go into Tolkien-esque paragraphs of right. Uh, well, the more recent defender there is um, the name's not coming. The Malazan Book of the Fallen guy. Yes. He's the worst guy about that lately, yet the best guy about actually making it credible that I can think of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't wish to denigrate that because I think it's appealing to some people. Right. No, I'm not actually trying to talk the man down. Yeah. Just it's really pronounced in his writing. Right. By the same token, when I mentioned the thermonuclear autocats, it was jarring to me because of how and where it occurred in a narrative that did not suggest their existence. Mm -hmm. I don't think, like with giant robots, there are no stories that would not allow for them. Or well, no, be you're, interesting. Allowed, you're allowed, and it can be good, to throw your reader a curveball in the middle of the book. That sure. can be a good thing. Sometimes it doesn't work out as well as others. One of the more endearing qualities of the original Airbender series for me is when they start showing more of the flora and fauna, and you get weird things like the six-flipper penguins. Right. That felt natural to that world. The degree to which they broadened out that world over the course of the series is pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. So those things can exist if they make sense and if there's if there's room for that to be part of the consistency established. Right. Or when they give you not your first look at the Fire Nation, but your first look at them in any kind of real detail. Yeah. And although they are just people, they're not quite the same kind of just people you've met anywhere else. Well, <laughs> and that's, I guess, one of the things I've been struggling with and part of what's led me to this in depicting this part of the world is that they had largely in the narrative just been an oppositional force. Mm -hmm. But to give them depth and context and make them real people, 
beyond just the lore and the history of what led them to where they are now. Right. So what is there every day? Mm-hmm. What is what makes them and drives them for and compels them to fight in the now? Sure. And no, I mean this has been helpful. You, I know it's we're at an hour and you've got to head out soon, but if this is something you want to do, I'm perfectly happy to do this. Yeah. Okay, because there are even over more time. Although I'll probably talk myself hoarse at there. I mean, this we have posted. I'll probably bleep out a few things for sure. folks who or just cut them. But. You could cut it up and put a bigger one together if we have a follow-on or something like that. You've got options. Yeah, I uh, I didn't want this to be any kind of guided or crafted corgi. Right. Because what I, the thing I've missed for a long time is the ability to sound and basically call out the terrible mm-hmm. sooner than it would be if I have to go through it myself. And, right. And also... It's exhausting reviewing your own stuff. Yes. Even if it's not a creative thing, it's exhausting and very hard because you did it. So you're like, no, I got that right. Oh, man, I didn't? Oh, no. No, and I, like, I, I sympathize with Go Van Gogh going to his own paintings and museums and going, eh, that little stroke right, right there. Hey guys, can is, I get that back from <laughs> Now it is done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and people trying to pull his mutual out of the way so that he cannot further tarnish his masterpiece. Right. I never set out to make a multi-book series. Mm-hmm. I was a short story writer. Right. But everyone kept on going, this is many stories, this is a book, this is three books. And I went, well, fuck, if this is the life the characters want to live, I have to allow them to say and express that. Okay, but do you? I'm not even trying to just be contrarian here, right? No, I, I'm not of the, I'm going to tell the story as long as I think more stories should be told, because I think there is an end. No, that, that's not what I mean. Okay. Um, say sure. uh, that... You finish this story that you're working on right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you wanted to, you could take it off in any number, really any number of directions, unless it ends in a gigantic apocalyptic brouhaha, which mm-hmm. seems unlikely knowing you. <laughs> no. All right. That, that, um, that was version maybe two. I've read enough Brian Lumley to know that he's prone to that one, but no, not everyone else is. Along with the giant robots and, and laser kings and space battles, which right. I'll talk about later, mm-hmm. th- there was the, there were the giant expo- right. explosion You enemies. put that down. Okay, yeah. but also, one of the ways to make uh, a world more real is for things to actually be unknown. Now, Tolkien yes. has the excuse of... The elves have been here in a very literal way forever. Mm-hmm. They know all this stuff, but they're not necessarily telling, except when they are. If you read the Lord of the Rings books through a lens of Galadriel and Elrond manipulating everybody else in them, because they do, it's yes. pretty blatant. And this is a lot easier to accomplish, incidentally, if you've read any of the Silmarillion, because it becomes more evident why the elves would want to do that, yeah. if, if you get more of the history there. Uh, it's a very different set of books, and kind of a really sad set of books, because Frodo comes out of a complete sap. I actually like that telling better. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. since nobody's telling that story, it can stay interesting because nobody has put it on paper. I will be upfront with you. Mm-hmm. I do not want to tell everything. I do not want to go into everything. Right. Because I do not... As much as I am creating the world, I am not equally interested in all parts of it for this story. Sure. I think there are other stories to be told, mm-hmm. and maybe eventually I will tell some of those. Right. And this was a thing I had to accept for myself when I was chewing over the, is this one giant book of the omnibus variety, or is this a series of a few smaller? Frankly, I think you probably have two books from what I've heard so far, but... 
I don't know. Two to three, depending. I think it's two, but that but might the, change. <laughs> what led to me, led me to it was the acceptance of very of deeply fable-like elements in the narrative and allowing those things to be true, but it, which at the same time forced me to accept that there are certain things that will remain in one way or another myths or interpretations of what has been. Okay. And characters will go accordingly, act accordingly, act according to their beliefs on that. But I don't feel the need or the urge to lay definitively down either the story or the truth on all of those. Okay. So no, I, I do agree with you. I think there's a point which the author has to put things down and say, this is a done story. Right. Or this is the part I'm telling. Or we're not going to hear about this other interesting guy, like the Acolyte. Yeah. The Acolyte might be a really interesting guy. You can tell his story of the people we've been talking about today. I mean, he'll... He's going to be around in right. the books for this, a long time. This guy's time. clearly woven through yeah. the story of Adam and maybe the other story you want to tell later with your other narrator. And that's cool. Yes. That's, that's actually interesting. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. No, he's in both in various right. pieces. But to give in to the urge to tell us a lot about him is going to maybe, good example here actually, seem like a change of the writing staff in a comic book where suddenly one of an ensemble cast becomes very prominent because that writer likes it. <laughs> no, I, uh, I've i seen that occur particularly with large canon series that are franchises too. Star it happens Wars. so much in comics. It, sure. It's very bad. <laughs> no, I, it can be neat, don't get me wrong. Like, maybe I wanted to hear a story about the Martian Manhunter, personally. I always want to hear a story about the Martian Manhunter, but most other people don't. <laughs> Way back when I envisioned the series quite differently right. and was looking at generations of characters, mm -hmm. I envisioned a third book which would go fully third person but multiple character perspectives. Okay. And and here's where I am somewhat nebulous in the later books. Right. This particular book is narrative is two timelines, two narratives, two narratives. Right. That's this book. Right. It will probably stay true if I'm staying with those two characters. If you in the stick sequel. with that story, you pretty much have to stick yeah. to that style of narration, or it will get very confusing. Yeah. But at the so, same time, to then do a book of short stories set in that world, say, yeah. is not necessarily going to require you to maintain no, that same. I mean, I'm telling the story right. in this way because it's the way that story sure. wants to be told. Right. No, it, it's right. You're you're not arbitrarily doing this. It's actually working for you. Yeah. I understand. The but. Ananda, that character, he has been emergent in parts of the stories. When I figured out his role fully, it became easier to let him be just that person and not have to force or be the, oh my god, he's the secretly manipulating deity that's been sleeping in the world for a thousand years arc or any of that, which I've read. I mean, I made a face for those of you who are only listening. No, I bring this up because <laughs> I, love, I love Tad Williams' world building in his earlier series. Yeah. And he's actually releasing after many years his sequels to The Earth. Okay. O-E- RTH. And yes, there's quite a lot of analogies. You story. know his work way better than I do, but go on. I read one of his other series, which was The Shadow March, and it went the route of a mysterious character who ultimately ends up being the manipulator of all. Mm -hmm. And I felt cheated as a reader. Right. Because I felt, like I my roommate said at the very beginning, you can do better. And as much as I will call all the writers on that, I feel the urge to call myself on that because... It's not the story as it Just should be. Just in the sense of honesty and in the sense of wanting to do a good job as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm not going to accept that from other craftsmen, I'm certainly not going to why take it myself. Why should you take that from you? Yeah. Sure. And it's why I sometimes struggle with pieces because in my gut I will know a thing is not where it should be, but I won't know per se how to express it. And no, I'm not the kind of writer who can plan that far because mm -hmm. for me that kills the story. I have met people who need that level of articulation right. to write. Yeah, the, the, the guys... 
the authors who have are on record as writing from big outlines that have lots of little details are incomprehensible to me. And I'm not a writer myself. I just don't understand how you would do it that way. I understand the push out a thousand words and keep the good ones approach that I've heard some other authors use. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I know this from teaching. Your process is yours. Mm -hmm. You have to improve upon it, but it's by no means anyone else's. Yep. And for me, one of the things I have found to be useful, and I'm grateful for mm -hmm. this opportunity of both you and hopefully more people down the road, is to sit down and go, I know you, some of you don't want spoilers, but I dearly need to talk to someone to figure things out. I need to work this out, so you can listen to these if you want or not. Yeah, so I think in effect I'll post these not as a tiered access, but as an optional all patrons. Right. The, the, just the you know, honestly, if I was you, I wouldn't even bother to believe the spoilers. I'd leave them sure. and just warn people they're coming. Here there'd be spoilers. Enter right. at your own risk. Because yeah. some people, I'm one of them, will we'll not care. Yeah. I watched Rogue One today. I knew, via the internet, most of what I was waiting to see. And it was still very good. I appreciated it a lot. Some people can't do that. It's like when you call a story a tragedy. Right. Calling it a tragedy isn't of itself a spoiler. This, this already biases my attitude going in. Exactly. Yeah. And that's fine, provided you're honest about it. Because in itself, it does not necessarily ruin the journey. Right. When I first started in this as... When I first started playing certain games and people started posting in their 20-hour playthroughs, mm -hmm. oh my god, here's the twist ending. I ignored those. But right. the, wow, this is super sad, I went, right. yeah, that was evident from the beginning. Right. This is very sad, or... Oh man, this guy gets a really cool power at level 18 or something like that. Who cares? Because that's not the same. Maybe I'll thing. try to get to level 18 a little bit faster, but that's yeah. my choice. <laughs> Saying Adam is full of fire does not explain what that means to him. Right. Or, or what, what goes on in Yeah. Or what that means to other people as the full reality of that comes into effect throughout the story. It's not even what the story is about at heart. Exactly. So I've definitely enjoyed doing this. We should do it again when you have another problem, and I hope I helped. <laughs> Certainly. And uh, although I know you're not exactly the most online person, if you want people to find you, where should they go? I almost entirely don't exist online, except as a function of other people's stuff. I'm involved in the Otter Worlds podcast uh, with you and Dave, who you mentioned earlier in this. Yes. Uh, and for the moment, that's about the only place to find me. <laughs> yes, he doesn't actually exist in real life. We just conjure him for occasions, which I'm sure Jen will be disappointed to find out. Uh, I'm going to be banished now. <laughs> I don't know exactly the ritual anymore, so this should take some time. <laughs> We're going to stop recording, though, because you don't need to hear it. I don't nope. want you guys to be able to make it. In fact, it's way. better you don't so that you cannot banish him at your room. Mm -hmm. Good night, all. So that's it for the show. If you like what you hear and you want to see more or read some of what I write, you can find me at Patreon. That's www.patreon.com forward slash my name, Jared, J-A-R-O-D, and then my last, C-E-R-F as in Frank, of course. It's only a dollar a month to subscribe, and for that you'll find the writing, this podcast, and quite a few other things. And well, if you're there already, thank you. Your contributions, your thoughts, your ideas are what bring this all to life. Hope to see you all next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>